Good morning, GF. We are blessed this morning to have a guest speaker with us. Um, equally blessed that it's not me. Um, but I get the privilege of introducing Pastor Winston. Uh, Pastor Rod and his family are traveling, um, getting some much-needed time, time away together as a family. So please keep them in prayers as they travel. Um, but Pastor Winston is here with us. He and his wife, Brenda, have been married for 23 years. Um, she's here with us this morning as well, as well as his two sons. Um, and uh, he's been blessed with the privilege of, of raising, uh, along with her, their wonderful children, Alyssa, Alexander, and Andrew. Winston served as a minister and the director of operations at a church in Miami for over 11 years before leaving South Florida to attend seminary. He and his family returned to South Florida late in 2018 to plant Grace Life Church, which will be located in Lauder Hill, where they both lived and worked as they were growing up, and Winston currently serves as the pastoral resident of the City Church Project, a collaboration of churches working together to plant effective gospel-saturated churches that exist for the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of South Florida. Um, something as you've attended GF for a while, you know that we are committed to as well. As part of the City Church Project, Winston is currently on assignment as the pastor in residence at Rio Vista Community Church in downtown Fort Lauderdale. Grace Life Church is planning to launch weekly services next year in the fall of 2020. So please join me in welcoming Pastor Winston Miller. Hey, thank you. morning gospel fellowship man that sounds great so wonderful to be here with you all another Sunday I'm grateful to God for his grace amen our, our God is is the one who is worthy of every song any song we could ever sing worthy of every praise we could ever bring and we live for him and I'm, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning. Grateful for Pastor Rodney and his uh, lovely wife, Kaisha. We thank God for him, and um, he's been a help to me um, transitioning back into the South Florida community. He's been an encouragement to me, as I'm sure he's been to so many of you all. And I'm grateful for his leadership, grateful for his prayers, and uh, I'm grateful for the prayers of this church, this congregation. Amen. Thank you all so much for praying for my family and I as we are uh, working to plant this church in Lauder Hill, Florida. You all know what that's like. And so we're, uh, we're starting on a journey and the Lord is with us. But we crave your prayers and we thank you for them. And I'm aware that you all have been taking a journey uh, through the Psalms. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to join in that journey with you today. So our focus today will be on Psalm 113. And if you would please turn or swipe there with me or you'll see it um, on the screen behind me, Psalm 113. And from this text, I believe that God, by his grace, gives us reasons or a reason to praise. And while you turn there, I, I got to remember, remember that the first chapter of Scripture that I think I memorized was the last psalm, Psalm 150. Uh, 
praise ye the Lord, in the King James Version. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. And then it goes on to, to say, uh, praise him with the timbrel and dance and with stringed instruments and organs and on the loud cymbals and the high-sounding cymbal. Let everything that hath breath, anybody know it? Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. And I can't tell you how many times in my Christian walk uh, that I've turned to the Psalms in order to express myself to God. And what do I mean by that? Well, the Psalms adequately express my, my fears, my frustrations, uh, my sadness, as well as my joys in life. Not all of the Psalms say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. Uh, there's several types of songs that I'm sure you've heard about that represent all types of circumstances that we find ourselves in. There are psalms of lament for our times of sadness and even depression or tragedy. There are song, psalms of confidence to remind us of God's faithfulness. There are psalms of thanksgiving to the God who provides and protects. There are even royal psalms where we remind, we're reminded of the fact that God reigns no matter how challenging this world may seem. And Psalm 113 belongs to a category of psalms that we would call hymns or psalms of praise because they help us to celebrate the greatness and the goodness of our God. And, and that type of celebration can drive away the enemy's lies. It can drive away our own fears. It can give us a right perspective on life. And, and I, I don't know about you, but my perspective always needs God's help. I need to be reminded that when everything is good, it's because God is on the throne. And, and I need to be reminded that when things are not so good, God is still on the throne and he's worthy to be praised. And so God has gifted his people with this collection of songs and poetry so that we can express ourselves to the Father by meditating on and reciting and, and praying and singing the psalms. As a matter of fact, Jesus meditated on the psalms, and it's Jesus is recorded as quoting the psalms more than any of the other book of the Bible. And so, for example, in Psalm 118, to answer the Pharisees, he tells them that he is a stone that the builders rejected that would become the head cornerstone. And that's just one example of many of how Jesus used the psalms to speak truths about God and his own life. And I want you to know that in the same way, the Psalms give us a voice to talk to God and to worship him. And that's why reading and meditating on the Psalms is so essential to a healthy Christian life. I want to encourage all of us today to go to the Word of God in order to learn about the character of God and about what he has done and about what he is calling us to do and be. So many of us today are looking to our own thoughts and to our own experiences uh, to judge what our relationship to God should be instead of what the Word of God has to say. But God gave His church the Psalms so that we could accurately express ourselves in worship to God and worship Him according to how He has described Himself in His Word. So as we dive into Psalm 113, let's Let's just drink in what the psalmist is teaching us about the character of our God and how we ought to respond to him, knowing what he has done on our behalf. Are you ready? 
Psalm 113 says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Can we pray for a moment? Lord, we are so grateful for your word. We thank you for the songs that we have sung today, Lord, which recount what your word has said to us about who you are, about who we are, and what our relationship to you should be. You are indeed holy. Oh God, you are great. You are gracious. You are generous. So today we want to praise you as your servants. We want to praise you at all times. We want to praise you in all places because you are worthy because of what you have done. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see the wonderful things in your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And this morning we want to look at three invitations to praise God and three reasons that God is to be praised. Three invitations, three reasons to praise. Psalm 113 is, is the first of six first of six psalms called the Egyptian Hallel. And Hallel means to praise. It's from that word we get the word hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. And these set of psalms from 113 to 118 is called the Egyptian Hallel because they recount God's great triumph over Egypt in rescuing his people, Israel, from slavery there. So they sung these psalms during the Passover feast at, at the Last Supper before Jesus' death. He and his disciples sung this psalm to recall how God had saved them from slavery in Egypt and redeemed them as his chosen people because they never wanted to forget what God has done. So Psalm 113 is significant in that it invites all the people of God in all places and at all times to praise the Lord. And these are the three invitations and it teaches us to be specific in our adoration of God. I heard it said today, uh, God is good and all the time, but we can be more specific than that. Amen? Amen. All, there, are, there are three reasons, at least in this text, why God is good. Because of his greatness, because of his grace, and because of his generosity. But first, let's talk about our invitations to praise. The first invitation is to all the servants of the Lord. Verse 1 tells us who is being called upon to praise the Lord as well as the object of our praise. It says, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. And the servants of the Lord are those who have the privilege of knowing God through his word and serving God by his grace. If the Lord is your Lord, then you are privileged to be his servant. Because God tells the nation of Israel in the book of Isaiah, he said, you are my servant. 
I have chosen you and not cast you off. Psalm 134.1 says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. And, and what it's talking about there is the priests in the tabernacle who serve God day and night. They are the servants of the Lord. But, but 1 Peter 2 verse 9 informs us that we who have believed the gospel, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies. The King James Version says, so that we may show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous life. So we have the privilege of proclaiming the excellencies of God. It's the function of who we are as Christians, as servants of the Most High God. So we proclaim that he is the creator. And Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. And we proclaim that he is a, a constant provider. Anybody ever said this? I have been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And, and we proclaim the excellencies of our God, that he's a faithful Savior even when we're not faithful to him. So, O oh, servants of the Lord, praise the Lord. Let us with specificity proclaim the excellencies of the Lord. And if we notice in verses 2 and 3 that we're called upon to praise the name of the Lord. Derek Kidner notes that there's a connection between the Lord's servants and his name. How? Well, if worship to the one and only God is to be acceptable, it's got to be more than, than just flattery. It's got to be more than, than just guesswork, than words that are just coming out of our, our heads and out of our own thoughts. But praising the name of the Lord means praising him according to the truth of who God is and with true knowledge of what he has done. And where do we find that? We find that in his word. Because a name indicates a reputation. Proverbs says that a, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Our, our name points to what we represent, to what we have done, to who we are. None of us want to be misrepresented in a way that gives people a wrong understanding of who we are and what we are about, right? We would say that someone is, is, is calling me out of my name. And, and, and that's a very serious offense, isn't it? In the same way, it's possible to misrepresent God. How could we do that? By declaring things that are not consistent with how he has revealed himself in his word. Amen? I, 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 uh, uh, my family is from uh, the Caribbean, and, and I, I have a lot, of, a lot of friends that might say something like this, all praise to the Most High Jah. Anybody have any friends like that? And, and they deny, though, the triunity of our God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They deny that Jesus is God, and so they're not praising the Most High God. They're misrepresenting Him. And even sometimes we can be uh, 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 guilty of this same thing. We might say, I, I, I'm blessed and I'm highly favored by God. Yet we don't believe the gospel. 
We're not confessing our sin before God. We're not submitting ourselves to God uh, through a local body of believers in the church. So how are we to be blessed by God? We're misrepresenting Him, and we don't want to do that. What we want to do is honor God and honor Him in, in, in wonder, praising the name of the Lord. So in praising the name of the Lord, we are specifically reciting the character and the attributes and the deeds of the Lord. The Lord is holy. Our Lord is a gracious God. He is a merciful God. He is a faithful God. I found him to be a patient God, a forgiving God. He is worthy of praise that is thoughtful, that is specific, because when we praise the name of the Lord in this way, it shapes our relationship with God. We better understand who He is and what our response to Him should be. It's a call to praise of all the servants of the Lord. Now look with me to the next verse. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Verse 1 tells us that the call to praise is for all of us. Verse 2 tells us when we ought to be praising the Lord at all times. We're to be praising God right now for the rest of our lives and into eternity. No matter what the weather is like, no matter what the economic or social or political climate is like, the name of the Lord is blessed and worthy of praise. There needs to be a consistency to our praise. Our praise should not be contingent on our circumstance. And what a reminder, because if you're like me, it's easy to look at, uh, it's easy to look at the bills and forgot that God has promised to supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Uh, some, of us, uh, some of us find ourselves fussing and complaining when our bo boss schedules extra hours without extra pay because we forget that God has promised to work all things together for good for our good and for his glory. God is really worthy, saints, of praise at all times. In times of joy, in times of comfort, as well as in times of grief and pain, and in times when it seems like there's global upheaval, or in times of peace and safety, because God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If he did it before, he can do it again. He's worthy to be praised at all times. And not only do all the servants of the Lord praise God at all times, but we praise him in all places. Verse 3 tells us that the name of the Lord is to be praised from the rising of the sun to its setting. And every 24 hours, we're on this planet that rotates around its axis, around the sun, which is stationary at the center of our solar system. And as it rotates, when we pass through the sun's light, it appears as if the sun is rising in the east. And when we get out of that light, it appears that the sun is setting in the west. So this metaphoric phrase literally means from the farthest east to the farthest west. It, it means everywhere the Lord is worthy to be praised. The name of the Lord is to be praised in all the places of the earth and throughout the universe. And, and what does that look like? Looks like proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the entire world to all people groups in every nation of the world. When the gospel is heard 
and believed. Then others come to faith in Christ, and they too become the servants of the Lord who seek to praise God at all times and in all places. John Piper has famously stated that missions exist because worship doesn't. And so what we do is we keep preaching the gospel. Why? Because not everyone is praising the Lord everywhere at all times. We're called to proclaim the gospel wherever we can, whenever we can. Around the world, yes, but also in our own neighborhoods, at our places of work, in our own homes. Saints everywhere, from the rising of the sun until where it sets, we are called to praise the name of the Lord. And so the psalmist has instructed us to praise God at all times and in every place. And now verse 4 is going to tell us why. Let's talk about the reasons to praise God. Number one, we praise Him simply because He is great. We sung about that today, and there is no one or nothing that can be compared to His greatness. You see it in verse 4. It says, The Lord is high above all nations, and His glory above the heavens. Now that Hebrew word for high, it indicates that God is is described as being exalted over every nation. Friends, the nations don't define God. America does not define God. Or wherever you're from, it doesn't define God. The Constitution doesn't define who God is and how He ought to be worshipped because God is high above all nations. Amen? If you've had the chance to watch the Olympics, before they get started, you'll see the parade of nations in the opening ceremonies. And, and when I watch it, I can't help but, but be amazed at the creativity of our God, the artistry of our Creator, like the variety and the beauty of a garden, the peoples of the world, all the nations in all uh, colors uh, are put on display. And, and, and when you're watching it, there, there are some nations that you, you've forgotten about it, and you're like, oh, I didn't even remember that that was a nation. Uh, I didn't even remember that that was a country. Um, and, and, and so it's great that they're represented there. And, and, and it gives you, the, the, you've got to think about the sovereign nations of the world and all of these great leaders who people look up to, who people spend all of their time talking about and wondering what they're thinking and listening to them and following them. But think about it. The God that you call Father rules over every nation, large or small, developed or developing, whether they're on the bleeding edge of technology or they're in the dark ages. And he rules over every leader, whether they are wicked, whether they are compassionate, whether they're just plain crazy. And, and especially in the world that we live in now, I'm so glad that our God is high above all nations, including ours, because he is the one whom the prophet Daniel proclaimed changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And friends, this is important because when we practice articulating the greatness of our God by saying, my God is high 
above the nations and his glory is above the heavens. When we, when we say that, when we proclaim that, our perspective changes and we can now find our peace and confidence in the one who rules over all nations, who rules over all creation. And we're not swayed and we're not moved when things look like they're going in places that we just can't anticipate. And this bold statement of verse 4 evokes the question of verse 5 that's right at the center of this psalm. And so it begs to be looked at. And it's so important. Who is like the Lord our God? And the obvious answer to this rhetorical question is what? No one. Nobody. Because in, in the days of the psalmist, the nations were much like they are today. They were worshiping uh, the gods that they created in their own imagination to try to explain the world around them. But the psalmist responds and says, there is no one like our God. And here's why. Here's why. In verses uh, 5 and 6, it says, who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Pay attention to that word seated. Brings to mind a king who is seated on his throne. It's the position or the seat of power. We would say a, a sitting king, right? Or, or a sitting president or a sitting prime minister. Uh, so seated on high means that God is enthroned. The picture we have is that of royalty, of our God sovereignly ruling and reigning and triumphing over all. And the Word of God says that He is enthroned so high that by comparison, he has to look far down on the heavens and far down on the earth. And some, some version says that he stoops down, stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. And this is really greater than we're fully able to comprehend. God is just that great. But when the psalmist says that he stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. What is God, God, what is God looking for? Well, he's not looking to just observe us and then just leave us alone to our fate. That's not the character of our God. And, and, and he's, not, he's not peering down at us in disapproval and disdain over his glasses. He's, he, this is not the character of our gracious and merciful and, and just God. So why is he stooping down uh, stooping to look down in this psalm. Well, saints, our God is great because as high as he is enthroned, he graciously condescends to men and women in the lowest and most pitiable circumstances in life and invites them to fellowship with him. And that's the kind of greatness that we praise our God for. And we praise him for that and we praise him for two other things which are like that, for his grace and for his generosity. Verse 7, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Verses 7 through 9, they describe the most unfortunate members of society. They describe themselves who are unable to do as society is telling them to do. They're unable to pull themselves up by their own 
bootstraps. They describe those who are poverty-stricken, not just in their pocketbooks and in their influence, but in their very souls. They've been rejected by society. They're in a hopeless situation. Without intervention, many of them are going to die poor, alone, and sick. But in verse 7, we learn that the Lord is the one who raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Commentators note that this describes those who in, in the ancient Middle Eastern society, they spent their days begging for alms by strangers who passed by. And at night, after being in the heat of the sun, it would get so cold. And what they would do is go into the garbage dump and cover themselves with heaps of dung and ashes that had been warmed by the sun for protection from the cold. They were the lowest members of society. They were powerless. They were dependent on others to supply their needs. Without help, they weren't going to make it. And here's where we see the compassion of our God. Here's where we see a merciful God, a gracious God. Do you see it? The extremities here are remarkable. From his throne above the heavens, he stoops to care for the poor. He passes the kings. He passes the presidents. He passes the business leaders. He passes the rich. And he stoops to care for the poor. And I, I want you to understand that this is no mere illustration. God has said so many times in his word that he loves the poor, the orphan, the widow, the stranger. As a matter of fact, in James, it tells us that we don't have true religion unless we do his work by taking care of those poor members of society. And in this psalm from God's exalted position, we can see him reaching way down to put his hand underneath the body of the poor homeless man covered by ashes and waste and lifts him up. What does God, our gracious God, do once he lifts him out of the garbage dump? Well, he doesn't just clean him up and put him in a food line. He doesn't just give him a couple dollars and tell him to go to a hotel. Verse 8 tells us something remarkable, that he makes them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. The same word that describes God as seated on high in verse 5 is the same word as sit here. It describes where God places that soul that he has rescued from literal death and hell. And the God who is enthroned lifts those who are unable to save themselves and he puts them on a throne to reign with him. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Is anybody grateful for that type of God today? Because I was the man in that garbage dump, unable to save myself spiritually bankrupt, a beggar full of sin, and all I could do is 
try to cover my shame with the dung and the ashes, with the very sins that brought me there and kept me there. But verse 7 speaks to the total depravity of humanity and our inability to save ourselves. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to become a man and live among us. And when he did, God's condescension to us became more than a song. It became real. And in Philippians 2, verse 6, it describes his condescension to us. It says, though he was in the form of God, talking about Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can we praise the Lord? But listen, God has not only exalted Christ, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. And what did he do? He raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It says, by grace you have been saved. So we praise God because of his saving grace. He raises the poor from the dust and makes them sit with princes. And finally, we want to thank God. We want to praise God because of his generosity. Where there is no way, he makes a way. Where there is lack, he makes provision that keeps on giving for generations. And let me read to you some familiar words, but they're coming from uh, the, the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 8, and this is what it says. It's going to sound familiar. It says, he raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Verses 7 and 8 of Psalm 113 are most likely a quote of 1 Samuel 2, 8. And what's happening in 1 Samuel 2, 8? That is the song of Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, one of the first prophets of Israel. Hannah was, was being tormented by others because she could not have a child. And God answered her prayer and gave her a son, and she dedicated Samuel to the Lord in the temple. And in her song to God, she praised God as the one who raises the poor and lifts the needy. And, and, and at that time, in Hebrew society, a, a barren woman, a woman who could not have children, was regarded as a failure. Uh, she was regarded as one that God was punishing. But for so many redemptive reasons, God was merciful to Hannah. And when we read verse 9 in Psalm 113, the psalmist means for us to think about her. Because by giving a child to Hannah, the Lord brought her happiness and honor brought her joy and justice. But Hannah's joy was not just hers alone. It became the joy of the entire nation 
because all of Israel was blessed by the ministry of Samuel, the prophet and the judge. Through Samuel, Israel was rescued from his enemies. Through Samuel, God, Israel was taught the character of God and reminded about the word of God. Because of God's generosity to Hannah in answer to her prayer, she dedicated him to the Lord and he was a blessing to all the nations of the world. And so the echoes of the story of Hannah and Samuel live on in, in Psalm 113. But as, as we conclude today, it doesn't stop there because we see correlations between the life of Hannah and her expression to God in the life of a young lady that lived thousands of years after her. And this young lady was named Mary, the mother of Jesus. She too was a poor member of society and she was carrying a child and her entire community believed that she was a sinner because she was a virgin. But Mary was told by an angel that the child she was carrying was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and he would be Emmanuel, God with us. And eventually her fears turned to praise. Why? Because one commentator said this, that Mary is so steeped in Scripture that when she breaks out in praise, the words that come naturally to her lips are the words of Scripture. Being a young woman, she probably loved the stories of the Old Testament of faithful women like Sarah and Deborah and Ruth and Abigail and Hannah. And you can hear it in her response to God in Luke chapter 1 in her song of praise, some, a song we call the Magnificat. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Servants of the Lord, you know why we praise him at all times and in all places, for his greatness and for his grace and for his generosity, because over 2,000 years ago, he looked on the humble estate of this woman, and he made her the joyous mother of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that generosity reaches to you and I today, where Jesus Christ came into the world to lift us up from our pitiable state, our dead estate, where we could not help ourselves we could not lift ourselves. We were under the garbage dump. But God in his mercy and in his grace and in his generosity saw us and went down, stooped down in order to lift us up. So God demonstrated that he is worthy to be praised by his servants at all times and in all places because he is great, because he is gracious, because he is generous. Amen? There's this old hymn that I'm not sure if many of you know, but I love to think about it when I think about God's greatness, about his goodness. And it says these words, To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the floodgates that all may come in. And this song ends with saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. 
Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Praise the Lord. Can we pray together today? Oh God, we are so grateful to you. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your generosity, your grace. It is not too much for us to praise you at all times and in all places, everywhere we go, because you are worthy of that praise. Thank you, God, for lifting us. Thank you for raising us. Thank you for rescuing us. And for those that are here today, Lord, that have never experienced that with you, God, would you convict their heart? Would you, Lord, give them an eye of wonder, oh God, so that their heart would be filled with your love, would bring them to conviction, would bring them, Lord, to desire to become a servant of God who praises you at all times. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.